That's a weak conclusion. I don't like that. Money. There's no salary to be paid. There's no nothing. And there's this long game yeah. investment of time and energy you have to put in to... Um. Welcome back to... Buckle up, baby. Episode 31, rolling through it all. Michael. 31. What else is there? Money. Mm. We need money. Money. Yeah. Money. 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 I like more than take time is on my neck. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wearing a hat I got in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Got me a hat in Nashville. You can turn anything into a country song. You ever been to Nashville? No, no. I've never been um, most places between the East and West Coast I've ever been, actually. Went to Minneapolis. <laughs> that we know. <laughs> Last week. You, most places between the East I've and West Coast. I've never been to any mid Midwestern city before Minneapolis. No St. I, Louis. No. I was in... Uh, what about Hotlanta? No. New Orleans. I was there. I was in New Orleans once. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Midwest. No, it's, it's not, not Midwest, f- yeah. It's like... Florida. Gulf. Florida, yeah. Nice. <laughs> An exciting life, Mr. Michael Weber. Wow. Tell me podcast. your secrets to living. What are we going to talk about today? Um, I don't know. Um, we can talk about anything, um, but we have nothing prepared, right? No, nothing. I, we, we usually don't, but usually something just sort of... If it's feeling dry. I try to think about something beforehand. Not um, this week. I forgot about this week, actually. I'm still um, I'm still coming off of the VCon I think stuff. it's still lasting. Yeah. Especially because I'm now in the process of deconstructing and rolling out all the footage that we got. Shout out to Shlomo Weprin, Motions. A great filmmaker and your wedding videographer. Yes. Yes. So there's that too. And guest at the wedding. And guest. And he changed from videographer to guest about halfway through. He transitioned at a certain point. And he was raging. (laughs) (laughs) You brought it up at VCon. Hey, can I get the rest of the footage? I I think I get you everything, man. He's (laughs) like, yeah, you you got the whole wedding though, right? I was like, well, not yet. (laughs) We should have him on, by the way. That's another guest we should have on because he's another example of someone who comes from our world of the of the modern Orthodox community of mm-hmm. Jewish community, but is a filmmaker full time and does that kind of out of the box stuff. We could bring up one yeah. point here. We got some feedback from a mutual, a, a close mutual friend between us yeah, who brought up something interesting. He comes from the finance world mm-hmm. and some of the assessments we make about those choices of people who pursue that. Mm-hmm. We made assumptions that yeah. you know for them that's sort of the safer route or this or that and he well not that we we we, we said for stable uh, with jeremy when jeremy uh, parker was on the podcast we said right going into eye banking or law or medicine is like the easy route uh, or like the stable sta- the stable sort yeah. of safe i guess i guess known that's what path said. path that's known well no that's not what and we said it, no no we said it was safer and easier and and our friend who is actually in finance argued that there's nothing safe or easy about being an investment banker it's actually very very difficult to get into that and to yeah. do that and to and to do well in it and like you shouldn't call it stable or easy yeah but that's a semantics thing we just meant like that world in general not I, specifically I know, I know what we meant yeah yeah, yeah well i meant i meant it's the I think at the of, end of our conversation with him though he did say i think you guys are all completely right actually which i i never yeah. followed up with i'm like what it was a moment of weakness for him <laughs> we never actually it. followed up as to what exactly no he, he told me we were right he about. had he had some kind of transcendent experience and he was like you know everyone's right in their own way so you guys are right in your own particular way that's a weak conclusion i don't like that he's not wrong 
everyone's I mean, right. We're we're right in a certain way, and he's right in a certain way. Yeah, I'm way. curious, but I wanted to explore that because that's that's something yeah. that I'm speaking about it purely observationally from the outside. Not that it seems easy. If anything, it's harder. It would be hard for me to do it. I don't understand yeah. any of that stuff. Right. But certainly, it seems like a path that's more charted. And if you stick it out for these couple of years, you'll become an associate. Then you'll become a this, then a VP. There's a hierarchy. There's a structure to it. So part, and if you waited out those years, you get to a certain stable place financially. But I don't know. So yeah. So I think he was saying that the stability of what you described of like you waited out, you become an associate, then a partner, and this and that. It, that's how it used to be. And now it's a lot more precarious. Where like it, it used to be, you could graduate in the '90s and sort of get a job at a bank through a connection and then mm-hmm. sort of graduate into like a very stable, nice position. And he, and he was saying that's just, that's just not how it is anymore. Where like you, you're, you're fighting really competitively to stay an iBanker and the good ones have to be very creative, mm-hmm. um, to, to, to be good at what they do. But again, that's like, and specifically investment banking, yeah. that may be the case. I'm just comparing categorically, yeah. like building something up from scratch in as an entrepreneur or a creative where there's no infrastructure in place there's no salary to be paid there's no nothing and there's this long game yeah. investment of time and energy you have to put in to um, to building up a clientele I, or whatever that that doesn't come with the territory of getting a job with a starting salary i don't it, think it does i mean i i think i think i'm you, curious I think to hear at, more at but, both you, you still need to work hard and you're, you're taking yeah. some risks i think what, what we what we both meant to say not wasn't that it's easy but if you grow up Jewish and well off on the East Coast, mm-hmm. it's the path of least resistance. It's going into an industry that your parents and their friends are in, mm-hmm. which means finance, law, and medicine. If you grew up on the West Coast, you have a totally different experience. Like the path of least resistance could very much mean going into filmmaking or development right. or producing or something. Like, but but for us, that's not. It's it's not easier to be an eye banker, but it's a lot easier to to start out as an eye banker um, if you come from our background. But also, fundamentally, maybe I'm wrong, and I'd like to talk to people about this in this world, but isn't it all about the money? Not in a bad way, but that's the draw. In other words, if education or film or other things guaranteed you certain amounts of, I don't know, maybe guarantees the wrong word, but you were more likely to be making a certain amount. Like The money is what the draw is, is that these, these industries pay a lot. And that's why people do them. It's not the work itself that they find necessarily fulfilling. So, so I, I think you're a little wrong about that. Perhaps some uh, – there's probably a lot of people that, that start out doing it. But there is um, a, a very unique set of challenges to being a good eye banker that could attract somebody to do it for sure. I, I knew people in college who were, sure, who were genuinely interested in finance but, and, and putting deals together and like – and they wanted, they wanted to do it. Okay, but if education – Average salary for a teacher was a half a million a year. Yeah. A lot of these people would say, oh, I'm going to become a teacher. Of course he's going to become a teacher. Very good. Oh, he's becoming a teacher. Yeah, I would assume would. he's going to be a teacher, right? Yeah. Because that's, you know. Some people would. Some. I think a lot of people, instead of accounting yeah. or eye-banking, right. or these things would say, well, it's, it's, it's got to be education because that's what's yielding so, 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 the most guaranteed returns so, on, so, so on, what, on so work. This, what this guy was saying, I think, is that, sure, a lot of people would start out being teachers, but – they wouldn't be able to hack it as teachers for mm-hmm. very long because it's not easy work. Right. I, th- I think that's what he was saying. Where he's like, he's like, you're right. People go into it, but to call it easy is wrong because because I don't. I don't remember. Other, my, yeah. Everyone would just. He, he's he's like I know people who they they can't hack it like mm-hmm. that and they they lose their job and can't get new jobs and right, it's, it's right, not for easy. Sure. Yeah. Yes, I take that point. I just mean. I just mean 
comparatively industry wise and category wise in terms of what to choose to do for a career. Mm-hmm. If you can't hack it in a creative endeavor, you fail. If you're going to fail in either one, I mean, the likelihood or maybe that that there's more of a chance of stability. I think the fundamental difference is success in creative endeavors, like money and financial stability, follows success. Whereas in financial, uh, in like the finance world, I would mm-hmm. imagine that success follows the money. Yeah, but how do you get the money? In other words, as you rise up amongst the ranks, yeah. I would imagine. But- I would imagine. I'm assuming your salary increases with your success if you're hacking it well. Whereas in creative endeavors, you can have a lot of buzz about you and a lot of things happening, but it still takes a much longer time to see the fruits of that labor and the and the yielding, like the financial returns on that. A movie that's buzzing and going through festivals and doing all these things, you're perceived to be like, uh, wow, killing it, but you still have a long ways to go before you're in a stable place. Sure, yeah. And I would imagine in finance, it's more like if you're rising up amongst the ranks, your salary is accommodating and matching that right rise. yeah i think like you could the same person could let's say put in a hundred hours of very hard work mm-hmm. every week and they would find they would i think they would find success quicker in finance yes. than they would and it's just different timetables so like yeah. you're working for five years doing all the right things hacking it let's compare successful people to successful people the industries themselves have their limitations and their benefits right. in one sense you know right. so you might be loving the work you're doing in a creative endeavor but in the end even if it's successful by all measures the nature of the economy of those kind of pursuits is okay. So you've put in the time and it got greenlit to did this and it got this opportunity. Next, you got to move on to the next thing and gradually build off of that. I would imagine that that's true. And that's why it steers a lot of people away from it because it's very difficult to do that and have a family and a normal stable life and all these Mm -hmm. kinds of things that are, you know, required in our world, you know, right. Of being an Orthodox Jew in that world. Like it's very, uh, it can be at odds with that. Yeah. You can reasonably expect to hit a certain level, I think, in those industries at a pretty young age. Mm-hmm. I but 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 I, I I but I think we we discount how hard it is to transcend to the next level. Right. Of like, it's more competitive than it used to be. Mm. Yeah. I kind of was making our point that if you're gonna like fail at one thing or another thing, maybe try the one you really feel passionate about first. I don't know if it's gonna be hard. No matter if yeah. it's not like yeah. easy peasy in anything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would have changed uh, my calculation coming out of college for sure. If, if I was like, if someone was like, you're gonna have to work really hard for 15 years, no matter what, mm-hmm. I would probably rethink um, some of the decisions I made. Give me your biggest one that you um, regret. When you look back, you're like, why the f did I do that? I don't, and that was just a product of pressure. The truth is, I don't regret majoring in finance, and I don't regret getting into startups. I think it would have been a bigger mistake to go to L.A. I regret sitting here with you. <laughs> you know those podcasts where they just hat. take every opportunity to jab that's not <laughs> called for just for the sake of having a – it was just funny. Um, yeah, one of the shows I did <laughs> this morning, they were just like going at each other for no reason. It was very funny. It was like out of nowhere. Nick and yeah, yeah, they would just be like uh, – anyway, so we're here and you're a loser. <laughs> yeah, well, Nick, Nick has the energy of like a sad Long Island mom. <laughs> <laughs> who like complains that the bagels are too oh. like not fluffy enough? Yes, that's true. He Nick sends back a lot of food at restaurants. Yeah, 
<laughs> for Excuse sure. Me. Yeah. And I like him. I really, really we were liked fans, him. Super fans. Immediately. <laughs> so we're talking about somebody we met at VCon who yeah. has a show called The Nifty that I did this morning. Yeah. We could talk about that. In but a I was second. talking about my, my deepest regrets. Before, I know, I know. Before I know. You cut Go. In. I did cut you off because it was a good opportunity for an uncalled for jab. Your biggest regret, you said you don't actually regret anything, but um, you're saying if you had moved to LA too early? No, I mean, let's say, I, I want to say my regret would be majoring in finance, trying to get into finance, and then doing startups for a very long time before I, I like got serious about writing. Mm. Uh, it probably would have saved me like seven or eight very productive, creative years mm, of my seven life. Seven or eight. Yeah, while from, you were trying to do save from twenty three to thirty. What like, motivated you to stay in the startup world adjacent? No, but, but I'm saying I'm glad I didn't because I think the people who I know who just sort of go full out LA screenwriting, like they end up hating it mm. first of all. And they also end up having nothing interesting to say because their whole life is industry. That's why you see these shows on like H like Hacks or whatever, like all these shows are about writing TV shows. Who just told me to watch Hacks? Yeah. Was that you? It, it's Was a good that you said to watch it? Somebody said you have to watch the show. It's Hacks. a good show. It's a good show by comedians who talk about being professional comedians, mm -hmm. like because that's their life experience, or like these shows about trying to be a writer. Like that's all you end up having to write about because that's your whole life. Whereas I have this whole wealth of experience to draw on that has nothing to do with writing. It's kind of like Scott Adams, who comes up a lot. Between yeah. us, like he spent those years in the corporate world and then created Dilbert based on real experience. That's exactly it. And he wouldn't have been able to create Dilbert in the authentic way that he did without all that misery in his life beforehand. That's, That's exactly it. So, so I don't, I don't, I don't regret doing all that. Mm -hmm. But if someone would have said to me, my, my sort of plan was was work in startups, which I found very creatively fulfilling and exciting, mm -hmm. and then hopefully do well enough that like you have like. A nest, like a nest egg, like a million, ten million dollars, whatever. Like once you get acquired or something, and then I can, and then I can make films or try to write without the embarrassment and shame of being like a struggling writer. Like I, I can have that reservoir of cash. But life doesn't work out that way, does right. it? Right. Well, if someone would have told me you're gonna, ha you're not, that's not gonna work out. I might have just been like, or that's not how it works ever. I, I think, I think if I could do it all again, I might do something like. Become. Uh, this is gonna sound silly, but like become like a locksmith. Like get like a trade. Go to like trade school where you can like have flexible hours. You you have like a really interesting life, and like you make a decent amount of like cash, mm -hmm. and and but but start writing, like right out of college, like like in earnest. Give myself ten years. The second part I understand, but a, a locksmith. Yeah. It, no, I mean you you get paid really well. You have I like the, a lot I like of already, experiences. I like the thumbnail clip of this, like what you're going to title this in the timestamps. Yeah. Why Michael should be in the locksmith. <laughs> no, someone, someone told me that their daughter is in art school and, and she got a locksmith um, thing. And I was like, that's like, so I, I do, I do it with, with, with real estate brokerage. Like mm -hmm. I show apartments. Yeah. So like I, I meet a lot of interesting people. I get like enough cash at the moment, whatever right now. It does make sense. It a works. trade like that, that, that is like stable yeah. and there's a, there's not that many of them and you can be competitive pretty easily. Yeah. So, so you're not going to make. You're not going to make three hundred thousand dollars a year, but you can make sixty thousand dollars a year for as long as you need to. Right until your side hustle reliably. becomes your regular hustle. Exactly, yeah, like something like that. Instead of like being a, a, a production assistant, like where you make no money, mm -hmm. you you're treated like garbage, and you don't meet anyone interesting. Um, besides, for like you want Substack, yeah. Am I in Substack? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I you, mean, you sub like you use it as a place to like put stuff out. No, I have my newsletter. Right, right. I was saying, what, what would, it, what, at the time, had you been writing all this time? Where would so it have like, gone? So, like, like I got. I I'm trying to imagine what I that world was. I interviewed like. at the Onion, 
Um, which like in I was I was I had my own Onion website in college number number three pencil. I wrote there was an Onion school newspaper at Maryland, and I wrote most of the headlines. Like oh. I was like I was like the copy it there. guy. And then the Onion had interviews, and I went to go interview at the Onion. How did that go? Um, I didn't get it. And and I went, all right, I guess I will be a real estate broker. That was it. Immediately. I immediately gave up. I, w- I, I was sitting in my real estate <laughs> license class when I got the email from the guy saying, I, I still have it. I had it in my inbox until very recently. <laughs> it said, O&N writing interns, like, really sorry to let you know you didn't get the position. How did the interview go? Did you think you were going to get I mean, it? I mean, do you really want to know? Yeah. I mean, it's embarrassing to even think about <laughs> It was it was for the Onion News Network. It was, Michael Lindsay. <laughs> it was their first foray into video f- for the Onion. They, they they did the articles. You know the Onion, right? Yes. And they were starting like a. This was in like two thousand. Took a cooking magazine. Two thousand nine or two thousand ten. <laughs> yeah. No, into like they were going to do video content for okay. the first time. They called it the Onion News Network. It was like a Fox News. Before parody. all those viral videos came out of their funny sketches, you mean the the Onion? Yeah, they've had some great YouTube videos that I've seen. Yeah, you're, you're talking years. about the satirical newspaper. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah not like Gordon Ramsay, The Onion. No. I, I made know, that I up. That I'm no, saying, no, no. I know what The Onion yeah, is, yeah, yeah, but yeah, they put out really funny satire so, videos. So this and was probably the department that, yes. that was doing that. Before any of it happened. So I showed up. I, I didn't, I was, I was just so like green. I didn't, I didn't think about like, you're interviewing for like an, uh, a video platform. You should write like, you should write sketches they were like, br- br- bring your work at, in, in like screenplay format. I just printed out all of my writing into a folder and, and, and I, and I like. was an idiot the night before. This was like the biggest, I was, was never more excited about anything in my life. I went and never out, more unprepared. Well, I, I, I was prepared in the sense that for, for a year or two in college, I had been just writing for fun. So like I, I was a good candidate to write for the Onion. I just but, meant but not. For, I, I meant inexperienced and never more inexperienced. Inex- yeah. You said you came in green, like in retrospect, you would have been like, I knew how how to play it, but yeah. you had no re- frame of reference. Yeah, right. This was my not first unprepared. Cre- you couldn't have been. Prepared. Also, by the way, this young. is my first. Cre- I would never showed up to anything as a creative person. Mm. I was always wearing a suit and tie, going on like marketing or finance reviews. I didn't even. I probably wore a suit. I didn't even know how to like be like myself. So, so the night before also, like someone invited me out and, and, and I knew this was happening as it was happening. I was like, Michael, just go, don't go, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Instead, I went to the show in the city. I got back. I went to sleep late. What did you see? It was like with, with Benavento Russo Jackie, Duo? some stupid, I don't even remember. Jammy band thing? No, no, it wasn't. It was, it was even, not even that, mm-hmm. something I didn't even care about. Right. And then the next day I drove to the interview and of course there was traffic and then I had to find parking, and I got there late. Mm-hmm. So they were almost wrapping up the whole thing, and they—they they you like, had a time slot or a waiting room? I had a time slot, and like I basically missed it because I drove into this to the city like an idiot. Oh. And then I showed up with my with my like portfolio, and and they're basically like, "Oh, hey, nice to meet you. Just like leave it here, and we'll we'll read it." And that was basically the thing, and I just left the thing, and oh, that and left. was it. Say, oh, so you didn't even really have an interview? I hardly no I, no rapport. I, I must have I must have talked to them for like two minutes, but. But, but meaning, in retrospect, I can look at that and be like, that would, you didn't even interview. You didn't yeah. even give yourself a shot. At the time— And you gave up. At the time, I was like, well, I gave it a shot, <laughs> right? Like, that's how, that's how green I was. Wow. And so I got, the, I got the thing, and I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be a writer. And, and, I, and I, I was sitting in this real estate license class— and and that was it for me. And I never tried again. And um, wow. what I would have done differently is I would have been like, all right, strike one. 
how do I reapproach this next time they do interviews? And and I would have like in earnest kept trying. I would have like wrote more screenplays and published more stuff and been like, and and if I had done that, what was the Parker motto? Like like fail to learn or fail to win? Yeah, keep getting no's until you learn what you need. Yeah, there was to a phrase you said that was, that was sticking. That uh, was like learn until you win. Yeah, learn till you win. Keep learn. learning till you win. Right. You did not learn, and, and I didn't learn. And you did also, not learn. Michael. Had I done that, by the way, had I had I just kept putting stuff out on the internet, by the time the content creator revolution came around, I would have been like perfectly poised. Like I had weird Twitter accounts, mm-hmm. I had weird Instagram accounts. I would have been like you had an execution problem, big time, and a consistency problem. <laughs> you couldn't commit. You were like, uh, you know, it, 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 what. Yes, no. but but a simple solution would have been like a mentor. I didn't have anyone in my I didn't even have you. I didn't have anyone in my life saying like what you're doing is cool and like here's how it's going to look for you. You didn't ask Michael. I was around. <laughs> no one no you, no one was there. No one was there for me in right. that way. And, but it was also um, ghost. This was also internal. No one knew this was going on. Really? Yeah, no, yeah. I didn't I didn't share. You weren't out on your sleeve. I didn't get yeah, no. People right. used to reach me. Oh, I got this guy. He's playing this thing. You should check. We'll come with him. He's doing music for this. Like, I, I was always chatting about what I was up to. Right, right. That's I true. Was and putting I mean, it out there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It, you, it was sort of like a moonlighting thing. But um, but for your interview, yeah, you should have taken a Dodge Ram. <laughs> <laughs> when I have the hat on, I get this cowboy advice. Did you take a Dodge Ram? You know that guy. That guy, the voiceover guy. I think so. Which Dodge Ram? Anyway, yeah. um, I guess yeah. You didn't have anybody. You didn't talk to anybody about it. This was all in your head. No, that's not true. I talked to friends, but they didn't have the advice they needed. I talked to Taryn. Yeah, I talked to you. I but no one, no one, no one had what I needed, and mm-hmm. no one, no one had, no one, no one had the experience. No one knew, mm-hmm. and no one was like, well, you didn't have our writers who were ten years ahead of you saying, "Here's what you have to do if you want this path." That's exactly it. And and back to the previous conversation. That's why I went to the path of least resistance, which was real estate. Like I didn't have the parent or the parent's friend to be like, dude, what you're doing is totally normal. Yeah. Like give it 10 years. Yeah. And and that's why I went to real estate. Not because mm-hmm. it's easier to do real estate, but because that's the path you, you get sent on. And you assume that this is what success looks like. And this is what failure looks yeah. like. And you were like, I guess this is failure. I'm on the side of failure. Yeah. And therefore I'm going to tr- try but, something else. But, but on top of that also, we, I didn't have Gary V on YouTube being like, keep, keep at it. Right. Like there was, I didn't, I had Tim Ferriss. And right. like, I listening to Tim Ferriss and like I, I learned a ton from that over five years. Who's but, a professional professional. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But and you know, he he he's a he's a professional learner. He he teaches you how to learn things. But I didn't have even if I had Gary Vee at that point, that would have been huge. Yeah. It would have changed my life if I had Gary Vee at that point. Um, I guess he wasn't even doing it yet. No, that that's what I'm saying. So um Tim Ferriss took me so long to figure out what on earth he does, and he doesn't do anything but be. <laughs> <laughs> He's well, a professional professional. He's a professional learner. He doesn't he learns he learns new things. He learns new and things. And he's paid. How? No, he doesn't get paid. He doesn't get paid for learning stuff. He gets paid I, I just mean, mean, do you want to know? I do, but also when you watch and discover Tim Ferriss in that yeah. process, Tim Ferriss is one of these guys where you're just like But how? All of these big ideas and vagabonding and adventures and learning and exploring. But it's almost the way like when people criticize the Gary Vee stuff where they're yeah. like, yeah, but what's the what? What is the thing? You're telling me to, to do all these things yeah. but not naming it. I totally disagree. About Tim Ferriss? Yeah, when was the last time you listened to him? Oh, not in a long time. I'm talking about when I initially think my yeah. confusion was this guy 
can teach you how to learn a, every single language in 30 minutes. Yeah. But what does he do? I know he started the Tim Ferriss show and the Tim Ferriss podcast. Yeah, I know he, he was an angel investor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, once wrote, you look, he wrote a, yeah, I mean, do you want to know? Four hour work week, four hour chef, all those things. And it was authors and like very much a good branding expert and all this. Like, I know who he is now, yeah. but there was always that funny thing about, about like Tim where you're like, um, this guy's just professionally curious. Yeah. And that's the word. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's professionally curious. What an interesting niche to, to do. And like, what is that path? Tell me. What did he do? What did he do? I mean, I could tell you he he almost killed himself in Princeton. That I know. <laughs> he uh, he came out of that and got uh, a job um, working like in in like sales, doing like cold calls and selling, mm. and and figured out he was really good at figuring out how to work a lot less hard than his colleagues and be a lot more it comes to the four hour work a lot more effective. Yeah, and and then he started um, a, a nutritional supplement company and realized he was working a hundred whatever a hundred hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, and, and making a nice amount of money, but completely miserable. Mm -hmm. And so he figured out for himself how to automate most things and hire like people in third world countries to do all the, all the like repetitive stuff. Mm -hmm. And he figured out a way where he could move to like Bangkok and work not four hours a week, but, but work 10 times less than normal and still make the same and, and, and still make the same amount of money basically. And he turned that into a book called the four hour work week, which, which is a silly name for mm -hmm. a really interesting comp concept, mm -hmm. which is how do you. How do you do? How do you get the same results with ten times less effort? Less by being, time by being smart. Yeah. So instead of forty hours a work week, you're working. You're working four hours a week, and he. No one wants to buy it, and so he figured out a way how to sell it on his own of like blogging and getting it to the right people, and then and then he and that's how he sold he it. He used all the tools available at the time to market. But, but the that market. but his expertise basically became in like an efficiency expert in this new sort of world of like publishing and tech and then he became a consultant and got paid really well and then he had the opportunity to invest and invested in like twitter Uber, all the right stuff all the right stuff he probably made like half a billion dollars when like and 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 then he probably made like half a million dollars and that's how he made his money Right. And now what he's doing is again like being. He's like, learning the Jamaican hand drum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, well. Th then he became like an expert in like I'm really good at figuring things out. So how do I figure things out? Optimal. How do I teach other people? To Even figure his things out? suicide was very well planned, according to him. He, like yeah. optimal everything. He's crazy. So he's like a little. He's like that whole thing. He had an, a crazy podcast episode About where he explained how, why he is the way he is, which is because he got. Uh, raped when he was a two-year-old yeah it's crazy well this i've known i i knew everything you talked about pretty much except like details of consulting yeah this i did not know i stopped listening completely because i was like sick of it and then i i happened to open up the app Remember oh you we stopped listening about? you stopped listening to the podcast no to his show yeah a not the after, rape story no 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 after you trump, after, like, yeah, this is boring <laughs> after trump got elected i was like i it's the your persona of like of like really rich guy who's just like, what do I do with my life? I was like, it's not interesting to me anymore. Whatever. I opened the app at the right time at the right place when we talked about that. And an episode came up being like my sexual trauma. So I listened to it on this drive I took and he explained how all of these like neurotic, obsessive, compulsive things he has about like I have to learn, I have to be perfect, I have to optimize everything all comes from this trauma he had before he even had memories, he um, he went to daycare at this woman's house and was raped by her son, like, over and over again for, like, a very long time. And he had no idea until he did ayahuasca. And the memories came back up, 
and and he was like, all right, I dealt with it. I did ayahuasca and I dealt with it. And then he went to a meditation retreat and and did he was taking mushrooms every day of this ten day meditation retreat. Micro dosing? No, like not micro, like like pretty serious dosing. And and he said he basically had a psychotic break. He went insane. And he said he was reliving it. This was before he had words. He didn't have vocabulary, so he was reliving this trauma. He, he said he was it was like watching a video game every time he closed his eyes and he was about to go insane. And he went to the head of the retreat and was like, like, you need to send me to a hospital. I'm about to lose it. And the guy like the guy helped him through it. And he said he went on this like years long journey afterwards processing all of this. And he figured out the reason I'm like this is because of that. <laughs> well, we went from having nothing to talk about at the start of this podcast to a whole lot Isn't of that weird crazy? shit. Yes. Well, you know, he had. <laughs> I saw a clip where he had somebody on uh, a psychologist. Yeah. Who's like a Holocaust survivor psychologist. Bessel van der Kook. He's a very mellow voice like this, and he has uh, voice glasses like this, and yeah. he talks about trauma. I mean, it comes, the body keeps the score. It, I don't know what he I wrote, but he sounds him. like this, and he he's very critical of Jordan Peterson, and he's very liberal, and he's very anti-Israel, and he's very pro-Palestinian. Oh, terrible. Uh, yes, I didn't like those views, but he was talking <laughs> about how everything in our life and everything in the way they behave has come from trauma and childhood trauma, and when he. He basically took Tim Ferriss through this mental exercise of like, when somebody disappoints you, parts parts work. Something like I that. listened to it. You did. You I know what I'm talking about. It, yeah. He has like he has like tiny little eyes. And he, I didn't watch it, but I listened. He to said it. when somebody disappoints, <laughs> he has these eyes. Literally, I don't know how the guy sees, but he's like, when somebody disappoints you, somebody let's let's do an exercise. Somebody's working on your house. He's like, tell me something that disappointed you recently. Tim goes. I had someone who was doing construction on my house and I was eating a bean salad. No, <laughs> I had someone. It's always, <laughs> I always close oh, my no, Tim Ferriss impression with, and then I finish with some tea and a bean salad. <laughs> with some nice I had someone who was doing work in my house and he didn't finish the job. And, and how did that make you feel, Tim, when you didn't finish the job? I was angry. I was disappointed. He's like, why were you disappointed? Why did you feel angry? What did it make you feel? And he starts going through this like, you know, that I wasn't good enough, that he didn't respect me. And why do you think you, you you felt you were someone who didn't deserve respect? Why do you think you don't deserve respect? And he just kind of yeah. keeps keeps peeling away. And then there's this moment that I've never seen Tim have, which was discomfort mm -hmm. in this clip where he goes, I don't think I want to go there. Like, all, as Tim is always curious and always is trying to go to the deepest parts in his podcast, he's had mm -hmm. some amazing episodes that I've watched with Rabbi Wolpe, with Jordan Peterson, that they get really deep. It was the first time I saw him thrown. And I was like, what was mm -hmm. that about? So I think you just answered That's it. what it is. So so after this thing... Did they he, find this kid, this this person at the daycare? He, he talks about it. There, so the, the he, he, he brings someone on to interview him. And so she asks, like, do you know who he is? And he's like, yeah. He's like, do you know where he lives? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, she's like... Do you want to go confront him? And he's like, he said, I'm I'm afraid that I would lose control of myself and become violent. And mm. so for that reason, I don't I, I think it's it's irresponsible to go confront him. And I was like, <laughs> and she said, the interviewer said she confronted her abuser. Her abuser. And, and this so was the, a psychologist talking. This to? was um her name is Debbie Millman. She's a design expert, yeah. but she talks a lot about her own like sexual abuse. abuse. Um, but but she said a lot of times you, you go confront these people and like they hardly even remember right. like it doesn't matter to them and it's like even worse than like it's like it's so much worse than not confronting it. Oh my god! 
Anyway, so so he, after that, I don't know if you know, he's like one of the biggest philanthropists towards psychedelic research. Because, I do know that because of this Cooper or something. He does something with like these guys who run the lab. Yeah, he he does a lot of Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins, work. yeah. So he, say Cooper, he basically used psychedelics to to treat himself. Um, and that's why he's so into it. That's fucked up. Crazy, man. right? Yes, it is. Oh, What's crazy though is like he he promoted himself as this like superhuman, mm-hmm. and like for so long, like it like bothered me. But I was also kind of like, why can't I be like that? And it was because like it's all just like he's not he's fucked up. It's not it's not like a good way to be. <laughs> I saw a Jordan Peterson clip where it was like, and you look at these people and you look at how they project their lives and. His one of his messages is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. Yeah, I like that. Don't compare yourself to someone. To, 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 the only thing you can do be is who do you know well? Mm-hmm. It's like you don't. You see these people. You think you know them. You think you uh, they they put themselves out there. Look how amazing and alpha and optimal they're living. But do you want that childhood trauma that Tim Ferriss had? Right. That you don't know what what made him who he was. Right. Who do you know best in the world? Yourself, and yeah. you barely know yourself, yeah. but you know yourself well. Oh, I had to. <laughs> Certainly better than anyone else. You know, who do you know better? Well, well, well. That, that's You're... not it. It's not it. It's not. Who do you know? You. And maybe you can be a little bit better than who you were yesterday. So you could strive to be slightly better yeah. than who you were yesterday. That's all you should yeah. aim for. And, not, and you can be ambitious, but strive to be slightly better every day. And not in comparison to who someone else is today, because you well, don't know what they're dealing with. You see these celebrities living life, then you find out, oh, and then you find out they're on bloody cocaine, and they're divorced three times, and they never see their children. Is that what you want? You know. And uh, well, that, well, that's why whew. I don't have any regrets about about not starting to write earlier necessarily. Oh, I mean, wow. I do good but, callback, uh, about, Michael, because like that that made that that gave me the juice to write the script that yeah. got me my break. Right. You know, like for sure. Um, the juice, the juice is worth the squeeze. Juice is worth the squeeze. <laughs> no, you know, but I feel that way about comedy. Yeah, well, yeah, when so I said, what's like, your if regret? I'm... What are your regrets? Ooh. Well, and then I'll I'll break in with a uh, with an impression. Okay. <laughs> I do have a lot of, in all seriousness, like yeah. I'm frustrated by the fact right now in this moment that I have this rash. No, I'm frustrated by the fact that <laughs> I have the same one. Vicon. <laughs> lot went down. I'm frustrated currently by the fact that I'm not as comfortable and good at stand up as I'd like to mm-hmm. be. Let's just throw that out there. Okay? Because, like, there are these opportunities now, and mm-hmm. there's a part of me that would just, I'm constantly weighing do I like doing stand up? Am I just not good enough at it yet? Because I had such a high from doing a good set. And then, since those two good sets we've t- spoken about, like, I've had some rough ones. And I'm like, man, this process is really brutal. It's just mm-hmm. something to go through. And I kind of wish I had gotten that over with. There's a part of me that's like dwelling mm-hmm. on that too much. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I just wish now that I, everything is sort of like starting to build a little bit. I had that in my arsenal. I wish I could get up. I'm doing a spot tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Your favorite guy, Nima's coming into town, by the way. It, does he have his own show? Yeah. Oh, I got to get tickets. Yeah. I don't care how much they cost. Um, <laughs> can, I, can I come? Because I have an idea for an open mic. Uh, set. You could come. It's tomorrow night. Is it no an open mic? No, oh, it's a no. Show. He's, he says you want to do a spot. We might do a Gary V off or something, which could be fun. Where is it? It's at Brooklyn Comedy Club, the same place we saw Tyler. Mm-hmm. You can come. I might come. All right. The point is, like, <laughs> I watch this process, yeah. and I'm doing everything you're supposed to do. Write the joke, try it on stage, bomb it, bomb it, bomb it until it's right. Yeah, it's a hard process to be in at this point. 
So I'm just like, oh, I wish I'd been doing it all this time to um, to be here and ready for this opportunity of all the comedy stuff that's starting to buzz. And it's not there yet. That's a frustrating place for me. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I wonder, like, had I been doing it all this time and going to, like, I don't know, auditions for this and that without social media being put through the ringer and this... All the kind of maybe like hurdles I had to go through on the music side, if that had been experienced on the comedy side, it might have just wrecked me. Yeah. I might have just been not resilient enough and been like, or just came out the other end saying, I'm just like not funny. I got no ideas. I'm yeah. worthless creatively, all those things. And I didn't ever feel that way with music because I was already pretty prepared for that battle. I had my toolkit. I could play. Mm-hmm. I could sing. I could perform. I had been performing since, like when I see comics who've been doing it since high school, I'm like, oh. But at the same time, I'm coming into the comedy game having been done music for 15 years. Maybe that's a crazy advantage and not a handicap. Right. Like maybe that's my secret weapon that I haven't put together yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe my set has music in it in a way that is different than any stand-up. I don't know because I haven't fully seen it congeal, but I'm thinking like, Oh, maybe that's an advantage and not a not a liability. Maybe mm-hmm. that's not a disadvantage or a crutch. It's like, oh, why why am I able to do certain things with stand up that maybe someone coming in just now or someone who's been doing it the traditional route? I don't know, and I don't know what. So I, that that takes me off of the dwelling of oh, I wish I had, I wish I had. Yeah, thinking no, actually, I think I'm in a good place now because I found that even when we we're at VCon and stuff, I wasn't like you and I didn't have crazy expectations other than just enjoying it right. and feeling appropriately placed. Yeah. And that came from my experience yeah. as a musician and being getting to where I am on the music side of things. I think I think the through line for both of us is that there there conceptually is there's a way you could have engaged with comedy earlier on. Mm-hmm. In a way, in a way that you weren't necessarily going to auditions and being broken down mm-hmm. by it, but you were like in earnest, able to admit to yourself, "This is something I want to do, mm-hmm. and it's scary, and I don't know where it's going to lead, but like I want to try to get better at it yeah. little by little." Whereas where we were at twenty three out of college from our community, it didn't feel like we were allowed to say things like that. A hundred percent. Like you know what I mean? Totally. Like we had to be good at something pretty quickly and make money. Like that, and whether or not that's true, that's how we both felt. Um, so, so, yeah, so I you, think, so you I chose think, music because you know, that's what you're really good at. Yeah. I chose startups because I was like good at marketing, you know. But also, you, like, yours happened to be creative. It did, but in a way, it's a matter of degree, right? Like some people say, well, I didn't, I didn't do music, so I, I, and I did law or finance or medicine, whatever it is, even though I was like, I really loved guitar, but I couldn't bring myself to do it because mm-hmm. of the pressures of my community and, and the ones I put on myself. And for me, just take that down a notch and say, well, I couldn't do comedy or anything like that because – so I went with music, which was it, it, which was, was more approved. In a commercial way. Yes. You, you Correct. Didn't, you, you didn't I didn't go, just like put on a bass and have at it. But that was also because of Shabbos and other, I had a lot of practical reasons why. But also, why did I try commercials? Because that felt legitimate. That felt like business. That felt right. like something I could pal- – that felt palatable. Yeah. I could say, hey, I know it's music for TV. It's, it's real. Yeah. It's not art. It's business. Right. you know what i mean but you're right like the reason i made those choices even in in even when i was in a creative context i was still thinking with that same mindset so the what changed when did both of us i i could talk for me when did you but that was a huge advantage to me too you realize before you get into that question hold on to it let's table that let's shoehorn it right there and we'll put it here um in other words I'm glad I went that way because if I just went out there and started just putting out some songs and seeing what happened, 
I didn't wouldn't have learned any sort of craft. No. I wouldn't have gotten a whole skill set. Any any commercial stuff that was rejected, it didn't go all the way. I didn't take it so personally. It allowed me to become a real professional. So here's the way to do so it. So anyway, what here, was your question? Well, here, well, just to to jump on that, here's the way to do it because because I think there's a middle ground that like I see sometimes kids. I'll just say I'll just say what I'm thinking. Like kids from there's a school Ramaz where like um they're like they take themselves really seriously at that school. Like mm-hmm. the kids go on to do very big like important successful things like i see the skull and bones of jewish sure sure but i I see kids from there even there's a way the middle ground to do it is 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 to have a mentor in your life or a parent and you graduate from college and they go you want to write great you sit at a desk for eight hours a day and you come up with a plan you come up with a five-year plan you come up with a 10-year plan Mm -hmm. and you take this shit seriously Mm -hmm. that's the way to do it not to be like yeah go out to la and see what happens like the way to do it is like how are you gonna make money while you work Mm -hmm. how hard are you gonna work and like what's your plan and like so you can be professional about it and and still be creative about it but like but you need i think you most people need someone in their life to to guide them through that and if you don't have that it's just not gonna happen right um, what was your question? My, my question was, when did it change for you? When did you turn a corner and say, you know what, even though it's scary and I don't know how it's going to turn out, I can I can try to get up on stage. Oh, for comedy? Yeah. Because it was pretty recent. Um. Yeah, that changed because uh, it all starts with kind of the music side of things, really, which was I kind of accidentally fell back into the art side of of what what I was doing initially, mm. I was like, I'm gonna do music as like a service, and I'll write for commercials, which I still do today. But that felt like palatable. That felt approved and allowed. Mm-hmm. Like I'll do it for commercials, and I didn't really understand the economics of it or whatever. But it just felt like it felt more mature than the pipe dream rock star band pursuit. That like every high school kid, oh, I want to make it. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. No, write for commercials. Be part of the industry, like that kind of thing. But that inevitably took me to L.A. to keep writing for those kind of things, and then and like getting stuff, getting some, getting some songs used in and and some music used on on, on television ads. And I said, oh, okay, so I passed that hurdle. But then those ads started wanting to use real songs, bands. They were licensing bands. So I got together with two other guys in L.A. and we started writing stuff and placing them on TV. My skills and experience from writing for commercials informed a lot of that and Mm -hmm. got me familiar with how things worked uh, on the industry side of things. But then that inevitably, that one thing led to another. First, we started writing and getting stuff placed. Then we started writing original songs that turned into records. And then it was like, hey, you want more stuff in commercials? Like invite some of these ad people to your concerts. Concerts? Well, we don't do concerts. Like I, I don't do that anymore really. I mean, I love that. That was like a, those were like the club days and the mm-hmm. high school days and college days. It's like, nah, start playing out. It will help this. So I started to realize these two are really so related. Like, and eventually, you know, the rest is history. We became a, evolved into a real band that had a real fan base. And I realized on the music side of things, it taught me all of these industry people are just fans at the end of the day. Some are more connected fans or, or can do things with their music that other people that a regular fan can't because they're in the business, but they want real music. It's like, oh, so obvious. So it goes full circle. Then I'm in a band that's doing that. And it was kind of by accident. No, but that's not what I'm talking about, though. I know, but okay. I'm getting there. <laughs> um, so then I started learning about the power of like, okay, we need to build up our audience. Uh-huh. Like, the ultimate power above all of this is the audience. If you have an audience, then everything else kind of follows that. Mm. Because as things like Spotify and social media started to 
become standardized in the way that artists and bands build up their audience, that was what labels were looking for. <laughs> they were like, okay, well, let's check your social media. Let's check this. They weren't getting involved early. They mm-hmm. were seeing what you could do on your own. So we were trying to build an audience and, and, um, and do it that way. And one of the ways we're building an audience was getting songs on commercials and appealing to people uh, and reaching lo- large masses of people through, you know, a song in a trailer or a song mm-hmm. in a commercial. But I began to see on like the bird's eye view and get that sort of confidence of, okay, so the power is really in the audience. And then with comedy, I started doing content, not just stuff of not, not, and like I started doing content that was, in sync with what I was doing on the social media itself. It wasn't like with music, you make a record and then you want to use the social media to get people to come listen to the record with TikTok and Instagram. I started making musical and then comedic content on a regular basis. And that started to grow an audience organically. So and after that, I was like, okay, I have justification now to take comedy as seriously as I do music because now all that stuff that I learned in the, on the music side about building up an audience, I had mm-hmm. done not maybe to the same effect, but I was doing, uh, you know, without without because social media was now becoming more powerful and robust and ubiquitous, I didn't need to like get on a commercial, cast in a commercial, or mm-hmm. get the way my music needed the way the music that we were making needed to get that kind of exposure. Now with social media, I could go direct, mm-hmm. and I was getting that kind of exposure through the actual social media itself as a way to broadcast. I didn't need to like get on some sitcom show or some slot. So I didn't need I didn't need to do the identical path that I had done in music all along because now the social media platforms were that much more powerful and mm-hmm. and as broadcasting tools. So I started using those and then I'm like, okay, now it feels like the right thing to do to uh, start adding to my skill set and stand up is that next sort of hill to climb. Mm-hmm. It's like people want to come see what's going on. It didn't feel like I was just like tr- starting from scratch, like try and stand up. It felt like I was doing the like next right thing so you started making the music you started your content first content stuff on instagram was you at the with the like the keyboard and the beat machine or whatever just like okay looping. grandpa the keyboard and the beat machine <laughs> with the buttons there and the le- yeah looping live you were, looping. You were looping yeah so was uh, looping. so where did that where did that idea of the idea of to just get on there and put something out by yourself Basically, just for fun, was the idea that I, if I can grow my audience, I'll be able to sell my band better. Um, or, or 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 was it truly like I don't really care where this goes. This is something I want to do, so I'm going to put it out there. I'm trying to think what like initially, how calculated was it? Yeah, I think what initially sparked it was like 30. I felt like the band had was getting its proper exposure. We were putting out stuff on our own Instagram and playing shows and all that. Mm-hmm. But I also had these other things that I knew how to do and could mm-hmm. do that didn't get any attention. Ma- the looping and even comedy which came later. Yeah. So I started okay. so I started to just put out for that sake. I don't know if I had a long can, game strategy. Can I pose a theory? Yes. I, yes I, you I, can. I think it might apply to me also. Okay. Whether this was conscious or not, you you looked you looked at everything in front of you, and you saw a ceiling for dis, for for your band, and you saw a ceiling for where your commercial music was going, and you thought to yourself, if I'm being honest with myself, my real nuclear weapon that could be worth that that has no ceiling in the market is 
me in front of a camera doing impressions. Like no, I, I, I'm, I can be a world class person doing that. Doing this, I'm, I'm lumped in below, below the world class level, and that's only going to get me so far. So I have to, I have to try something now, because otherwise, if I just project this project out for the rest of my life, we're hitting a ceiling that I want to, that I want to be, a, that I want to transcend. Wrong. <laughs> I don't think so. No? I think that okay. all came later as it started to happen where I just started to <laughs> once people started responding to it, I I built it built a certain confidence and belief in me like, "Oh, wow. Look at that." Yeah. But the other stuff was doing was fine. Like that they, they I mean, this was like 2017, 2018 mm-hmm. when I started putting out the initial loop stuff. I think it was and like bands the band was busy and doing things and releasing records and things were happening, but there was a I think I don't I don't remember what my thought process was at the time other than um other than I have the stuff that's not getting any air. It's not getting any attention. I'm not giving I'm not gardening any of these other seeds mm-hmm. that I just have in me. Um and where do those go? Mm-hmm. I think I just didn't have a home or uh, a place for those things yet. And but but why And it didn't occur to me to do comedy yet on social media either. I was just doing looping in the beginning and music but, stuff, but because I didn't identify as a comic. To me, to me, it's the to me, it's the same muscle of like, of, of just you're you're creating for the sake of having fun and creating. There's no real, there's no real purpose to it. Like like I remember the, what the, it is. the impressions I, and yeah, no, the impressions and the looping to me is one bucket of yeah. like you're, you're doing something you're really good at for fun. But but what's your? What was your? I think I saw Reggie Watts. Yeah. You know what it is? Like, remember you said you had... I remember. I remember now. Um, the... I saw a video or two or a couple of different creators out there. One of them was Reggie Watts. Now, Reggie... Reggie! <laughs> I think I came across a video of him doing like a TED Talk mm-hmm. or something where he was... Mm. He was what I was. I was like, oh my God. He's musical, he's looping, and he's funny. And remember how you said you didn't have anyone 10 years ahead of you doing what you wanted to do that could give you any sort of reference. So all of my creativity was channeled into music because I sort of saw that path forward. There were people I identified with, bands I identified with that I'm like, I love that sound and I, that's the kind of music I want to make. And I charted that path forward to try to emulate that in some way. Mm-hmm. But there was no comedy music looping hybrid people out there. Right. And then I discovered Reggie Watts. I remember watching this and I'm like, like people find him weird and quirky and interesting. I'm like, that's the kind of stuff I would, that's that. It was very like free and he got up, he got on stage and he improvised an entire set you know, and words, and he goes, and everyone's going crazy. I'm like, I knew that wasn't what, what Distant Cousins does, which was fine. It was its own thing. But I didn't, I didn't ever even saw anybody do that. And then I saw a guy, another guy, Beardy Man, who was a live looper and semi-comedian doing looping and funny stuff. And I was like, <clears throat> I think that was the beginning for me. Just watching a Reggie Watson, I'm like, I'm going to try to put out content like I'm going to try to put out a video and do that. No words prepared, no nothing. Set up the looper, loop a bunch of minutes and stuff and put it out and just keep going with that. Yeah. That was like the first thing because it didn't make sense for that. That, that wasn't it wasn't like what the band was doing yeah. and it wasn't 
I hadn't been doing anything up until that point, yeah. but I'm like, I'm going to put that out. See, I, I, I and then I was inspired. I think I was just genuinely yeah. inspired by that. Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to okay. going to try that too because I have this untapped, weird creative side of me that gets no attention, and I didn't know it would it could. There you go. And so I saw Reggie, I think, and yeah. he was a real inspiration for me and a few other live looper people yeah. who were like, you know, blowing minds at audiences going. And I'm like, yeah, I do that, too. But I never put no one. But no one really knows that. And I don't really know that. So I put out some videos with a GoPro because I didn't know how to film anything. And I took a GoPro because that's the coolest looking camera you could do without um, without trying very yeah. hard. It's just a cool looking shot. I didn't know yeah. how to make videos at all. Yeah. And then I became a cowboy. No. <laughs> well, so I think that was it. Yeah. I think it actually was pure artistic inspiration. I saw Reggie Watts' video. If I'm really going back, yeah. before I put it in a video, I'm like, yeah. he just gets up there and improvises, and that's allowed? Like, that's okay? And it was awesome. Did you – so we talked about this at, at VCon a little bit where we talked about this feeling you get sometimes when people ask – when people ask what they should do with their lives, I, it occurred to me over VCon that a good answer is when you start to feel competitive with people you don't even know mm – -hmm. Whatever you feel competitive over is is a good indication of what you should be working on. So I saw this guy. Um, I just saw this like this news whatever, like this uh, on, on Deadline. This guy sold a show that takes place in the Hasidic community, and immediately I was like, "Fuck that dude!" Like mm -hmm. I I want to do that, mm -hmm. not him. And I'm like, I I already know that that's what I want to do. But I was wondering when you saw Reggie Watts up there, did you think to yourself like, I could do that as well as Reggie? Like maybe maybe not right now, but like I I belong on that stage also, and and if I don't start working on that now, it's never gonna happen. Yeah, um, it's a great question. <laughs> uh, another one I remember now was Childish Gambino, mm -hmm. who was Donald Glover, who was Derek Comedy, who was Donald Glover. That's something I think. <clears throat> I think yeah. another one. He's a good example. I think a lot of it came down to labeling. Mm. Reb label? That's what my grandfather used to call my father. Reb label? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it came down to, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm funny to my friends, but I'm a musician in its totality. I'm a, that's what I am. All my creative identity was tied up in being a strictly a musician and then a producer. And like I would add to those things and add to that bucket, but it still was always in the domain of music. And I just didn't allow myself to like think outside that box creatively that I'm also... Like that these other things could also be real creative pursuits mm -hmm. until I started to see people like Donald Glover and Reggie Watts who just do whatever they do, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and without being confined to a lane. So like Donald Glover doesn't like meld the two as much, but he's a comedian, writes great sketch stuff. Mm -hmm. I found him in the early days of Derek Comedy. Yeah, I remember that very well. So funny. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden I start seeing him, seeing him act, and then he's on Community. And then he decides to make his own show and write his own social. He's writing. Yeah. Not funny, drama, whatever you call it, for Atlanta. But, but even before that, he puts out a record as Childish Gambino because he does that too. Yeah. I related a lot to polymaths. Mm -hmm. People who are just doing all these different things, pretty like, you know, and maybe at different levels or whatever, but at a certain level, at mm -hmm. least that, um, you know, are yeah. polymaths, they're musicians, oh. hybrid people. Like I didn't identify fully with just being a songwriter or producer or bass player. Mm -hmm. And when you, you ask that question, I keep looking because my battery is low. 
<laughs> Sorry, some Backstreet Boys will come out. I'm a 90s kid. <laughs> I'm going to a place nearby. I gotta go. I look like A.J. McLean. I guess it all ties in. Should have said no. Um, but you see what I just did there? No. <laughs> I, I definitely always knew I was a polymath. Yeah. And that when I was in the world of music, which I love, and I'll always have a, I, I always have a, a place for it, and I feel a part of it and connected to it, I didn't feel like I was in totality just a guy who writes songs or a guy who plays bass. Because I knew bass players who were like, okay, you know, like, I wanted to be a boxer until I met a boxer. Who re- until I met someone who really wanted to be a boxer. I always so, thought I wanted to be a boxer. Want to save that, by the way, before you're. Uh... Well, I need the battery, and it's in my bag. Should I go get it? Yeah, I'll keep or talking. Sh- or should we'll we just, just do a uh... cut? We'll just cut the pod short. Yeah, well, how short is it? Whatever, we're, we're doing yeah. okay. All right, I'll, I got go, get, I'll go get the. Uh, but I'll keep talking. Anyway, I'll pretend you're right there. I always wanted to be. I always considered myself a polymath. In that I could have my feet and hands. My feet in these different doors. In other words, I, Michael, are you there? <laughs> there it is. Can we reach it from over there, though? We're plugging it in. Almost there. My battery is low. <laughs> hurry, hurry, hurry. Hurry. Eight percent, but you never know. You never know. Keep going. Can it reach? Can it reach? Uh, uh, you know when it juices and it fi- oh, feels like the computer just like drank a cup of water. Ah. <laughs> My point being, I met bass players. They spent mm-hmm. all their night and all their days and nights practicing bass. All the night and day. <laughs> they just play all day and they want to be touring bass players. Like you yeah. learn that in music school too. Like which part of the industry do you want to be in? Do you just want to be a performing bass player? So I knew early on I don't just want to be that. I play bass. And I, or I meet people who are lab rats and they stand all day in the studio just producing. I love producing, but I don't know if I'm only going to do that. Mm-hmm. I certainly love performing in general. Like yeah. that's a big part of my, my identity and what I love to do. Um, but these polymaths I started to come across, like Reggie Watts and Childish Gambino, I'm like, they just do all these different things with no apologies and nobody cares. You don't, they don't overthink it. So luckily with the advent of like the social media stuff, I was able to find outlets to first play without overcommitting time or putting myself out there too much to feel defeated. I'm like, I'll just put out little bits and see what happens. And the world responded. So I was like, okay. And that gave me enough of a boost to be encouraged to go into stand up and do the other things. Mm-hmm. Why are you smiling? I'm just looking at the hat. <laughs> then I became hat. a cowboy, babe. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and it wasn't this like, I'm, I need out of this, the band is only going to go, there. it wasn't like that right. kind of calculation. It was just kind of like, I have these other children that are neglected. Yeah. I've been feeding one child mm-hmm. for years. He's doing well. Mm-hmm. He's thriving. Thank God he's got these opportunities. I'm fe- but I have these other two children, this other child, yeah. the comedy or whatever you want to call it, yeah. that's just waiting to be nurtured. And it's there. Mm-hmm. It's also my child. It's also something I have. It's time to like give that child some attention. Right. Not to the exclusion of the other one. They're right. both part of the same family. Right. Not in the same way Tim Ferriss got attention as a child. No, and, and that was a good callback. <laughs> Yikes, you monster. And that's I mean, when I, I started... Even, I didn't like saying that. I know, I, I didn't know. like I saying know. that. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you have to sometimes make light of horrible things to get, to get through it. And that's when I also started driving a Dodge Ram. <laughs> so I hope that answers your question very yeah, thoroughly. That's a good... That's a really good answer. And I that's think that's really the truth. Answer. I'm not like even sugarcoating it. Yeah. I was like... I have this other child and I got to do it. Now the stand up part is like the other leg of it. Cause that's really new for me. Well, I wonder, do you think if, uh, if you had seen Reggie Watts at 21, you would have had the ability to follow that passion or, I don't or, know. Or just at that age. I guess I I'll think, never know. I think something happens 
in your late 20s, 30s also where you start to... Uh, yeah, I, I I think you start to feel fearless. Like, no, fearless. I I I think you start to realize um, life is a little shorter than than you might have always thought it was, mm-hmm. and like and there's a window. Like, um, I mean, I remember like part of what I regret is, you know, I I I took advantage a lot in some ways of of the energy you have in your in your twenties mm-hmm. is is like you. You have it in your twenties, then it's gone. Mm. You don't. You don't have that same like reckless passion. Yes, but you also care so much about people's opinions, and you don't know the right yeah, path, yeah, and you're yeah. so scared, yeah. and you don't know. You're trying to do what's right all the time. Yeah. What you're trying to do, what is expected of you, and what you're supposed to do. Right. I remember asking this like head of the studio I was working at. First, uh, he was running a commercial music studio. I'm like, so what? What should I write? What kind of song should I write? What, what like? Because mm-hmm. I wanted the best shot. What should I do? Yeah. I asked him. He's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> do what you do. What you do. I mean, it's not a good answer. I don't know, man. Do what you write the best stuff you can write. I don't know what to tell you. I was like, okay, but like, if I'm going to pick a lane, pick a genre, pick a, what should I write? What should I work on? What would has the best shot at like legitimizing this career? Yeah. That's the answer I wanted. And there's a better answer than the one he gave him, but I understand his answer. It's like, no one has answers, but you're really you're you're looking for sure things. You're yeah. looking for direct answers and guidance. Right. What should I do? Right. So because you don't know, and then you try a bunch of things, and then you're like, okay, I know not to do that. I know that kind of worked a little. It's 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 the nature of the situation you're in when you're 23 and have no experience and therefore no real wisdom. Yeah. Um, Dodge Ram. What I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, I I, th- I actually think it's the opposite. I don't agree with you. You said the energy of your 20s. I think I think the energy. I I I don't. I don't necessarily maybe that was just you in your 20s. I I feel like there was like a certain bottled passion that I wish I'd taken more advantage of mm-hmm. during that time. But then I think you you when that starts to wane, you start to look back and be like uh like wow, this like this this like inkling that I can be a polymath. Like I I I thought that was going to last forever and it was just up to me about when I had the balls to 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 do it. But, like, what if it doesn't last forever? What if I wake up and I'm 40 and I don't even want to do comedy anymore? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're like, oh, like I, I, I should start now. Mm. Like, around, around, like, around the time that energy starts to wane, you're like, I need to, like, take advantage of what's left of it. Because, like, the worst thing that could happen is I don't even want to do it anymore. Uh-huh. You know, like, like I, I see Reggie Watts and I feel nothing. Like, that's oh. the worst that'll happen. Right. I mean, I guess there's also the, you, you know what happens if you do nothing. You know what happens if you don't do anything. Well, not, nothing happens. Not necessarily. I mean, I, I think if, if you do nothing, the the thought I have is I'll just do it later. I'll, I won't do it now, but I'll do it later. But but then that changes. What you're like? What if there's no later? Yes, but, that's true. But there's also I'm just saying like, yeah. um, I think for me, it was the validation mm-hmm. that you know me putting stuff out there in social media allowing that instant connection with real fans not industry yeah not people saying this could be something this has potential it has it, it was a, i was able to say huh people are responding and that's really nice that maybe i can like hmm. take advantage and use the and like lean into this opportunity that's right. been afforded to me because of these platforms mm-hmm. it's all because of that because i was putting out videos and if I was still at like zero response, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know if I'd be on this like kick to like really pursue yeah, everything. Yeah, but it was, to me, it was like never, be, be, 
the the whole premise of this conversation is this is your talent and like you want to use it like I, I don't think it was ever a question about whether you you were gonna get response on social media i mean I, I obviously obviously there's nothing guaranteed but like right like, but i just didn't know when you, you know. start you didn't yeah. know no one knows everyone starts from from zero on these platforms but I, I think you knew somewhere i think in somewhere in your heart you know like if if i if i do this in earnest for long no enough. but i always second guess i'm like there's a lot of funny people there's a lot of, there are impressionists yeah but you knew that's why you didn't that's why you wanted to do it in the first place because you know this is your gift I mean, I certainly knew I could it's do esoteric. them. Esoteric. I, I knew. I knew. I could. I knew I could do them. But I certainly, if you told me in 2019, early 2020, like you're going to be doing stand up at clubs and have a following on social media that loves the, com- the like comedy and sketch that you're doing, yeah. I would have been like, what? Uh, I would have been shocked because I, I had I, I was not involved in it at all. Yeah, I, know, I know you would have been shocked because because that's the reasonable part of your brain. But I think part of your brain would, would go like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, like I'm really good at this. No, but I would have been surprised. I'm like, how did I end up doing that? That's what I was said. Like before, I discovered that there was really an outlet for it. Oh no, no, but before even, but once you started, if someone said to you like, it's going to happen relatively quickly for you, I think you'd go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're getting esoteric. <laughs> I'm telling you that for me. And I'm telling you what you felt. Once the momentum kicked in, I had yeah. full steam. I'm like, yeah, okay, I know I could do this shit. Like, I, I mean, I felt good about writing this stuff. I felt confident in my ideas and all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, but, but it was that threshold of like from not having an audience to having an audience yeah. that changed. Yeah. You know, speaking of viral moments that change things, it's not like it changes things overnight, but per- your own self-perception is very important. Yeah. You know, um, writing that first song that has impact on people, you're like, okay. Like once you do that, you then believe you can do that and then you do it more. Mm-hmm. It's a weird, self-fulfilling thing until you know you could. I didn't know I could get, once I had a song that got onto a commercial, I'm like, all right, I can, I, I know how to write for TV because there is, everyone's like, it's like Paul McCartney said, we didn't know how to write songs. We were just writing songs. We didn't know what we were doing. And I kind of understand what he means by that. Yeah. It's like, what's a hit song? I don't know. They just keep writing songs and then one becomes a hit. So I guess you know how to write hit right. songs. Well, but you, no- you learn to, what gut instincts to, to but then you learn to trust yourself more and then the things get better but then you're you know it's not like sensibilities don't get sharpened with time but it's like we didn't know how to write hit songs we're just writing songs over and over again and i guess people like them and then you're like okay i guess paul mccartney knows how to write song i don't know how to write a song well if you don't put yourself out and keep doing it and doing it until something sticks like that's how you gain authority in these Mm -hmm. domains by the consistent output of stuff until you know people respond to it Mm -hmm. you're about to fall asleep um no, 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 I'm listening. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a give and take. And that validation from the outside world, the audience that you're, that you're, you know, expressing yourself to is really important. Yeah. It is because one can say as a pure artist, like, it doesn't matter ever what anyone thinks. That is a little bit mm-hmm. when you're trying to like, you know, uh, entertain people and get a laugh or this, it matters a little, right? Like yeah. if you, like somebody has to connect to something you're doing at some point. I mean, you, or the, otherwise, it, it kind of is a hobby, or it's just for yourself, mm-hmm. and there is no give and take. There is no relationship between you and an audience. If you know, yeah. nothing is working. Yeah, nothing is sticking. People aren't getting what you're trying to say. Right. I don't know. That's yeah. a whole other com- you know complex of trying to figure out yourself. Yeah. Are you dependent on other people's validation or not? But it does matter a little, like a relationship. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be growing. Do you think someone from the Onion will listen to this and offer me a job? Yes, <laughs> I should try. Sending them a clip. Sending them. Well, I should. Why well, can't? It's not you too late to be diligent and find out who it was that interviewed you and send them this clip. Just want to tell you, like, thank you for reverse inspiring me in retrospect. 
I wonder if it'll yeah, do they're something. Probably dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like I don't. I don't think the Onion News Network ever like fully took off. I, I but um, because they didn't have you. I I I mean, honestly, I think I would have crushed that. I think it would have been amazing at that. Yeah. Um, it's a sad story, but it's an important lesson. What you told of how you didn't get that job and that you didn't write at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a lesson I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Of like, uh, I mean, kind of like what Jeremy said, like you keep putting your best foot forward and then you realize that wasn't quite my best foot. All right. So let's end with a quick segment All called right. Goals, Goals, Goals. And then we'll do um, just a quick topic on gun control. Okay. Uh, <laughs> goals, Goals, Goals. Yeah. So like now that you have got all that bad habits out of your system of your 20s of missing opportunities and, and all of that. Now you're here. And here we are. Yeah. What are we doing differently? I, I mean, I know we're doing this, which is I'm still getting different. I'm still getting bad habits. I think I'm more I'm more like um I'm more I I well what I've been doing since August of 2020 since like I tr- I went out and pitched the show I had been working towards and mm-hmm. it didn't sell. I've been trying to find a different uh, like energy source for myself than what had been fueling me up until that point. Microdosing. <laughs> Basically. No, but the the energy source that was fueling me up until that point got me as far as the interview with the onion and then a step back and mm-hmm. like like that that that's as far as it got me and I, ne- I I've needed to find something what do you mean that by gets energy me further. Source? Like what 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 keeps me going? Like like when I sit down, when I get up in the morning, what what gets are you falling asleep what, what what gets me to the what gets me to the desk and like when i get a rejection what keeps me going and mm-hmm. um going. <laughs> and like i need to find i mean working on the podcast has, has been like part of it of like the the source has to be just internal and like uh it it has to keep you working hard and focused on the process more than anything else um, and if it's, and but I'm curious, like you, you, we were into VK and you're like, okay, I want to cover this. I want to put this into writing. Yeah. Where do you, I'm like, you want that to go where, what do you, what do you want? What are you trying to build that? Um, I like it. I like that you're doing it. I like it, but I love it, but I like it. But what are you, what are you trying to build in that um, pursuit? Nothing specific It's the same thing as as you, as you putting the videos out. I'm like, I, I, I just want to do this and I know I can do it very well. And 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 the only way to like is there somebody that I does mean, it in a in a way that you deem successful that you would want to be you like Mike, Michael Lewis I'm saying saying like where does that really build oh, like Michael Lewis again? he wrote like Liars Poker okay. and like the, the where that really builds in like Blue Sky Best Case Scenario His books No no I, I write a really good article people from the conference really respond to it retweet it let's say it gets a hundred thousand views. It goes like a little bit viral and a publisher sees it and goes, wow, this guy can really write. No one else is writing this well about the NFT world. I want to talk to him like mm-hmm. that. That's where that leads. And that's then you get to leads. write more about certain things. And yeah, go to places and then, and and then Variety calls and goes, hey, uh, that article you wrote was awesome. Do you want to go to NFT NYC and cover it for us? And then, and then so they go. So a real writer from a mix of journalism, opinion. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. When I say writer, like I, I, I mean more like screenwriting I think is like – probably where I shine in a certain way. And it's the most commercial thing. Like, like there's that. And then I, I, I get up in the morning every day and work on a horror screenplay that I want to sell to a studio mm. to pay me cash. Like that, 
that's that's like the thing I'm focused on. I the, wonder the if writing is the podcast. It's like it's a thing yeah. that I need to keep doing that I hope will like. But I wonder if one of the things that would help is if you decided to focus on one area for a minute and say, I want to like because that would channel well, your energies into variety. Uh, these publications, that publications and say, I want to get published by them. Well, that's because I, I hear you yeah, say yeah. these different things, you. but they all seem a little bit like. They're on the table, mm-hmm. and you're not quite reaching for any single one of them. You're just kind of That's looking true. at all of them. And you're saying, I want to write this thing. Hopefully it'll end there. Hopefully it'll end there. As opposed to saying, I want to write and get on a certain in a certain style of publications. Yeah. So I'm going to go to a bunch of things, cover them for free, put them all out yeah. there, like be a little calculated a to point. say, that's how I'll get their attention. I probably should, yeah. As opposed to, I'll write a horror thing here, and then I'll write there, and no one's noticing, and I'm wondering why. No, the, the, the screenwriting is the focus. Like, when I'm scared, when I'm prioritizing my day, if I that's the one thing I have to get done every morning. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the other stuff is is more secondary, mm-hmm. but you're right, I should I should strategize that better. You're yeah, right. and just you're channel right. it, because those that's cool. And yeah. if you're saying that that's... I'm only asking to dissect it. Like that's what you'd want to be doing in some capacity, being yeah. asked by certain not- notable publications to cover yeah. stuff for them. That it just takes a little bit of focus of aim to say, yeah. all right, let's aim my target a little bit. So, I mean, so what happened with this? I, I reached out to some publications. I got I got like a response from one, and they're about like, what the oh, coverage? No, uh, before we went to VCon, I was like, mm-hmm. I want to write about this, and I reached out, and they're they're like, yes, yeah, send me stuff you've written before, mm-hmm. and obviously I didn't have anything like comparable to send them so so really i came back going like what i need to do is just write something yeah. as like a little bit of a sample mm-hmm. and if it gets views like so much better but like i have to start out somewhere so then the next time something comes up i can go well here's here's what i wrote last time right At and then least. you like you cover an nft thing or whatever and all the nft blogs that talk about it tag them in your post and like send it to them and say hey yeah. i thought you might be interested i could in be this. more shameless and in a good way, and it, yeah, or saying this is added value. I think you would yeah. appreciate this. I yeah. think you would have. I was there firsthand, and I got a lot of cool insight. Yeah. So, so I did that with this crypto newsletter, and it worked. They they put my insight into their newsletter, and they linked to my Twitter, and mm. like a couple of cool people followed me, and, and that was that was good. But I could, I could be but more. You, so you see, the pr- it does work. Yeah. The formula works. Yeah, you're right. Um, What's your goal? So what's my goal? Just being more focused and strategic. I only I had to ask. I didn't necessarily know because yeah. with writing, it's very broad. Just like music yeah. and comedy is broad. Um, so you said yeah. you said that I would like to definitely do that. I'd also have a sort of side hustle passion projects that I want to keep building and working on. It's mm-hmm. sort of like what our videographer was talking about at VCon. Like I have yeah. these projects, these documentaries I want to make, but I'm also doing these other things. Yeah. Um, and they both require just that little bit of energy and focus on them. My goal, yeah. you say? Um, yeah, I'm really focused on audience right now. Mm-hmm. And converting that audience into those thousand super fans that people talk about that will in the micro it's it's solidifying a live set that incorp that in co- that is sort of the polymath representation of what i do mm. that has both comedy and musical elements that is competitive and different and unique that's eventually what i want to do in the meantime micro 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 mm-hmm. micro machines is just doing stand-up more and more to get really good at it and comfortable, and that takes a lot of stage time, which is just that requires a lot of patience on my end Mm -hmm. to keep refining that craft, adding the music to it, having an act where I can actually headline and fill rooms with people that will pay hard tickets to see me. That's a way of sustaining what I'm doing and converting a lot of these fans into eventual supporters that are supporting what I'm doing more directly via the podcast and my own work and then have a real revenue generating business that is both aj comedy buckle up podcast Mm -hmm. um 
and then uh, on the band side, doing more composing work and releasing more records with them and getting more uh, more eyes and ears on the music too. I mean, that's all a part of it. Right. But in this pursuit, in the fresh pursuit that we're talking about, it's that. Filling a room with people who are there to see what I do would be good. I just need to have something that I do yeah. on a live. On yeah, a live, it sounds uh, like a... Um, and, and more high-res sketch stuff, partnering with people that could, I could flesh out the productions more and partner right. and do more collaborations with other people. Like, I love making sketch videos. Yeah. I actually really have discovered that. I get a lot of satisfaction out of a good sketch that you see on YouTube or whatever, like Key yeah. and Peele style. Like, right now I'm doing it all handheld and it's very raw. But making funny videos like Key and Peele style is... would. I'm I'm working towards that. Um, you can and, do that, like PD. Like you can do a lot with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, wearing different wigs. Like on TikTok, that's a TikTok. That's aesthetic. what I do. Yeah. That's what I do. But I would love to also have it av- have it uh, available to me as an option to have some like whatever it is, whether it's funding or a studio or this or that, or partner with like a bar stool or yeah. whoever to make better, more high high resolution media. Right. That's another part of it. That's really an extension of the content that I'm doing. Right. And then the live thing is its own thing that I'm working on. Right. It's like I'm in that fitness, early days fitness of it. Yeah. I'm excited. I mean, it sounds like Makes um, sense. I don't even think you've started yet on the putting on, when you start to put all those pieces together, it's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Started like, in what sense? Like, like, I mean, if you got a stage tomorrow with an audience of a thousand, like I'm saying, like, like I'm imagining, I shit my I'm, pants. I'm imagining in like ten years after like a lot of hard work and a lot of experimenting, mm-hmm. like imagining sort of like, but we're not, like you're sitting on a stage with a piano, and I'm like, wow, Ami's gonna like show us what the fuck he can do now. Mm-hmm. This is really cool. Yes. But like you, like there's a there's a long path ahead Put towards your fucking hands up. towards that um, on me. towards combining that. But when you start. The process of combining them is going to be really cool. So I'm in the 10 year before that. Right, right, You right. just described. Right. But I see that. I definitely see that. Cool. What you described. Yeah. It's a long road ahead. Yeah. But. It's a long road ahead. We'll end on that. It's a long road. This is a Distant Cousin song. The road is wide open. There's no one for <laughs> oh, miles around. <laughs> and my head can't stop spinning, so I turn the radio on. And I heard a song through the static. I'm on my way. That is Buckle Up, episode 31. Buckle Up, baby. Brought to you by Dodge Ram. <laughs> Dodge Ram, like a rock. Is that Dodge? Chevy, I think. Like a rock. Oh, like <laughs> a rock. I think that's Chevy. Yeah. Or Dodge Ram. <laughs> Not liking the Dodge Ram, but I, th- I like saying it with this hat on. Episode 31, Michael. All we right. started with nothing and we ended up with something. And that is something. <laughs> Buckle up, baby. Buckle up, baby.